today's program the first of our women's history month 2020 series here on the workplace we're taking a look back at excerpts from the sub-series since the program began as i mentioned at the start of the year the start of a new decade is an excellent opportunity to keep reflecting throughout the year so as to better project medium to long-term planning thus having done a series review at the beginning of the year to kick off Women's History Month 2020, today's program takes a look back at some of what was covered on the program since the Women's History Month subseries began. When I was invited to pitch for this show, I really wanted to make the show about women's advancement in the workplace, but decided that it would be better to focus on work broadly and frequently slip in the more niche issue of women's advancement in the workplace. Having started the Workplace Reader program in April 2013, I missed out on producing content related to Women's History Month that year, but I did slip in two episodes related to women and the workplace later on in that year, because really, because really, observing women's contribution to work and workplaces should not be limited to just one month. I waited until the following year to launch this subseries. I did so in Women's History Month 2014 with an episode titled Caution, Women at Work. Here are my guests, Dr. Tracy Wylan, expert on the future of work, and broadcaster Rosemary Laye, talking about why 2014 was a good year for women. Let's begin with you, um, Dr. Wylan. What is your opinion on the progress that women have made to date in the workplace, and what do you think there is still left to be done? Well, there's two trends, at least here in the United States. One is I think people don't realize that 52% of the employees actually work for small and medium-sized businesses. That's non-large businesses. And women-owned businesses are the fastest-growing segment in this. So I think women have made a lot of progress. In fact, their businesses are growing twice as fast as men. On the Fortune 500 and 1,000 companies that you read a lot about in the press, I think women have had a lot of velocity. And what I mean by that is you've seen a lot of shifts since 2000 of women CEOs, such as Meg Whitman for HP, Ginny Romady for IBM, Marissa Mayer for Yahoo, and Mary Barra for GM. So I think women have made a lot of progress. They have, but um, these uh, um, incidents or these these women who have made it to those positions that you've mentioned, they seem to be, you know, few and far between. And Meg Whitman herself had stated sometime back in 2011 that it seems that women's rise to the to the top has stalled. Um, so even though you're actually seeing some women, it's quite, you know, not as much as we would have liked to have seen. What do you think about that? In Fortune 500 firms, which are uh, traditionally family-owned or older firms, uh, agreed. The research is there. In small, medium-sized firms, which are the you know the larger percentage now of where people are employed in the United States, we see much more progress for women. So I encourage women to really think about their careers today and the trends that are happening today rather than reflecting on the past, right? What can you do today to really accelerate yourself? And there's many more options today than in the past. A lot of us think we only can work for a large company. And here, at least in the States, you have many more options today than in the past. Yes. And I I understand that you think that you've said that um, 2014 is a breakout year uh, for women. And uh, why do you say that especially? I think things perhaps on the U.S. side perhaps might be more dynamic. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, there's, a, there's a number of trends that I have been tracking that occurred in, in 2014 for number one, number one, Janet Yellen, right? So women are accelerating in finance. Um, Mary Mack is the CEO of Wells Fargo, which is a very large bank. We had a woman win the most medals in Olympics uh, this year and in the past Olympics for, in the U.K., uh, we had more American women participating than American men, and they won substantial Olympics. The top salary earners last year in music were women, Madonna and Lady Gaga. So I see women actually in numerous areas progressing, and it's converging in 2014, and I think it's really exciting. Oh, it is. Uh, so, Rosemary, let's bring you in here. Uh, what's your opinion on the progress that women have made to date and what is still left to be done? And since Dr. Weiland has touched on your area of media and entertainment, mm-hmm. then I'd like to hear your views on that. Yeah, I actually also think that 2014 is going to be a great year for women. Um, you can see already within the BBC that the controller is a woman, Charlotte Moore, and she's very, very interested in getting more women into the media. So is the station director, so um, Danny Cohen, and um, he's want, he wants to address both the gender and racial um, issues that the, you know, the actual industry has so far. So it's absolutely superb. And already I'm seeing little trickles of women, more and more women, coming into the media and even older women coming into the media as well Mary Berry you know who would have thought at the age of 79 you get your own TV show that's absolutely superb so I you know so all all is good at the moment well you've touched on uh, an important point that I actually want to mention because there is um, on Monday published in the Evening Standard Kirsty Walk the presenter of Newsnight said um, if Dimbleby can be on TV in his 70s and women should be too Mm -hmm. and uh, the director John has said that um, it's simply not acceptable to talk about women going just because of their age mm-hmm. anymore. So we're right on track with that. In the 2015 series, Dr. Yvonne Thompson CVE, Christopher V. Flat, and Katie Day, all business people and authors, joined me in a two-part discussion titled The Modern Battle of the Sexes. Women's History Month has suddenly flown by and here on The Workplace on Resonance 104.4 FM, we have been celebrating women all month long. Today's episode, the last in our Women's History Month series, where we have been discussing women in the workplace, is titled The Modern Battle of the Sexes, Part 2. In today's episode, we continue on last week's discussion with business owners and authors Dr. Yvonne Thompson, CBE, author of Seven Traits of Highly Successful Women on Boards, Christopher V. Flett, author of What Men Don't Tell Women About Business, opening up the heavily guarded Alpha Male Playbook, and Katie Day, author of the high-heeled leader. Welcome back to The Workplace here on Resonance 104.4 FM, all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Last week, we did part one of uh, the modern battle of the sexes. We had an interesting consensus on, you know, women really have to, you know, be their authentic selves and seize their power, step into their power. Let's uh, get into this week's episode, which is really about things, um, I would say, more ticklish issues. But let's begin with the common ground. Towards the end of the last episode, I asked you all to name someone who you think really championed the cause of women's leadership. And I asked you that question because I I don't know if any of you know Bishop Arthur Henry Anstey. He was the archbishop of my native country when it was still a colony. And in 1921, being posted as archbishop there, he opened a school for black girls. It's the first time it had ever been done. And at the time, it only white girls, rich white girls, were educated, quote-unquote, in 
subjects like cooking and sewing. They were educated to be wives, basically. And Bishop Ansi came along and said, hmm, there are intelligent black girls here. I think um, they deserve to be educated. And I'm going to educate them in real subjects like math and science and so on for them to compete in the world of work. This is 1921, 50-odd years before independence, before the civil rights movement in America. I mean, I, he just blows my mind. So I, I set this as a scene for later on for us to come back to this when I mention him. But first, I want to begin with the common ground all of you have because I've read all your books and uh, the issues you dealt with in common were image insecurities communication styles emotions emotional intelligence authenticity expertise decisiveness and good listening skills and so on so really what came to the fore is that all of the issues are there you just came at them from different angles so if each of you could just choose one or two from this list and touch on your findings in terms of in your book with regard to them who wants to go first Katie okay <coughs> the two I would pick up one is insecurities and all of the issues that you raised are not gender specific men suffer with insecurities just as much as women the difference is that they manifest differently so men are far more likely to bluff their way through their insecurities and women are far more likely to withdraw into yet themselves. again yet again Christopher is nodding <laughs> along in agreement <laughs> with you <laughs> the other one is expertise and again there's a there's a gender difference men are more able and willing to talk about their expertise uh, far more than women women wait to be discovered men make sure they raise their profile and they are found all right. And Christopher? I think the where I, I still see people struggle is with uh, men are very goal-focused when they have conversations with people. And so it's always about what they're trying to accomplish. But then you have to squeeze the process out of them. And women are very process-driven. And so they want to share about why we're going to where we're going. And they won't get to the goal very quickly. And so it's great when women are forming with women. But when men are sitting there, men will dismiss after five seconds if they don't know what the goal is. And so, and vice versa, women will say, he's just rushing through without talking it through with me. And so I think for both sides when you're looking to engage with the opposite sex it's about having a conversation in a way that you want to be heard not a way that is necessarily the, the natural way and so I think with with women talking with men five seconds you have to get to the, what the goal is and then flesh the process out and with men vice versa it's not just about the goal women are curious about how are we going to get there and why are we going there and I think that's a key piece right off the bat that can have a major change in your relationships at work wonderful and Yvonne for me I think again it's the communication style it's how women communicate how some women communicate especially in a boardroom for some women if they're strong if they are direct if they are focused they are coined as aggressive but if a man looks at it from that point of view or if they if you hear that if you hear the same thing from a man's point of view they're a great leader so you know it's uh, it's aggression versus leadership Christopher has a very interesting story in his book about that the woman you went into the meeting with who right. sort of changed her personality when she got into the boardroom and she was like sort of like what, Darth with, Vader yeah, yeah she goes in like Darth Vader and very friendly on the drive there and then as soon as she went with, with a board of men she got aggressive like heavily like pitbull and I actually thought I had upset her on the ride over and kind of <laughs> set her off and then when she left and, and an interesting point of that is there are three settings in business passive mm -hmm. you let people tell you what you're going to do mm -hmm. aggressive you mm -hmm. dominate people and what we suggest right up the middle is assertive being very clear That's with it. what you want and what your expectations are and not making anyone wrong to be right but making it very clear what you need to have happen mm -hmm. and that, that that's a practice that we all have to work mm -hmm. on but don't you find the image of an aggressive woman like you say she turned into Darth Vader yeah but 
how would that compare if it was if it was a man? Would he be, He'd be regarded great, as authoritative? Great, yeah, yeah, but but to add leader. to that point, because often clients will say, and I don't know if we're allowed to use this word each either, although you did, so I will. <laughs> is women will say if I if I come in too strong, people will think I'm a bitch. Yeah. And in my experience now, having done this for 15 years and being in the boardrooms, is that the only person that finds Sorry. a strong woman to be a bitch mm. is a weak man. Mm-hmm. Strong men find nothing more attractive than strong women. And in our mm-hmm. company, where we have hundreds of business coaches, 95% are women. Okay. And so, and all those women are unbelievably strong. So I personally choose, if I have between a man or a woman to choose, I would choose a stronger woman than a similar candidate that's a stronger man because I know that she will deliver and I know he's going to talk about delivering, but I'm unsure. And so I find a very strong, aggressive woman. That's somebody who I want to have at the table with me. In the 2016 series, Dr. Joan C. Williams, author of Unbending Gender and co-author of What Works for Women at Work, joined me to talk about women and the workplace. So so that's Unbending Gender. Do you want to move on now to What Works for Women at Work? I was very interested in the four obstacles that you set out that women commonly face at work and how to overcome them. Yeah, What Works for Women at Work reflects the fact that I have become so disheartened on the lack of progress on work-family issues that I, the center doesn't really work on work-family work issues or for professional women anymore. We just haven't seen very much progress. And so I actually decided that working on gender bias would be easier. And so now, you copped out. I, I didn't cop out. <laughs> I just don't spend my time hitting against walls that aren't moving. I got you. Um, so, I mean, I, the center basically invented the modern part-time policy both in academia and in law firms in the United States and, and played a central role in those early years of flexible policy. But it's clear that's not been as effective. So what I did in Unbending Gender is I took really 30 years of social psychology studies documenting different patterns of gender bias. And then I did something very simple. I interviewed very successful women and I just recited to them the findings of social psychology studies and ask them whether any of that sounded familiar. 96% of the women I interviewed said yes. And these were very successful. So almost all of them had encountered one or more of these four basic patterns of gender bias. And then I asked a second very important question. I asked them what, what helped you in navigating through workplaces shaped by subtle bias. And then I wrote the book with my daughter because I think it's very important that conversations about gender bias be cross-generational because in many ways my generation who came of age professionally in the 1970s and 80s are very different from the millennials today. So the the four basic patterns, the first we call prove it again, and that's that women often have to provide more evidence of competence than men in order to be seen as equally competent. One really common way this plays out is through a pattern, the technical name is stereotypic but it's something very simple. It's that a woman will mention an idea, people kind of gloss over it, and then a man will repeat it, and suddenly people notice it and he's given credit for it. So that's a classic prove-it-again pattern. The second pattern we call the tightrope, and that's that traditionally male jobs are seen as requiring masculine quality. So women tend to behave in masculine ways in order to be seen as competent, but women are expected to be femme. And so women find themselves walking a tightrope between being seen as too masculine and so unlikable or too feminine and so not competent. The third pattern really goes back to the work-life issues. It's called the maternal wall, gender bias triggered by motherhood. Even if a mother does everything exactly the same 
percent of abortion she has children, the gender bias triggered by motherhood is extremely strong. Very strong negative confidence and commitment to function. And then finally, the final pattern is when gender bias against women fuels conflict among the women. And unfortunately, this is also very common. For example, if women receive the message that there's room for only one or a few women at the top, then of course they're going to try to undercut each other to be that one woman. That doesn't show that they're queen bees with a personality problem. It shows that they're ambitious women operating in an environment of gender bias. And then the book provides strategies for navigating each of those four patterns successfully. As part of the 2017 series, I hosted the Tate's Soap box session entitled my workshop, Woman, Where Art Thou?, the focus of which was awareness building of female artists. All right, and I like all of the activities, and it's always up to the members or mm-hmm. visitors to the group to decide what the next topic will be. And, of course, people who listen to my, my regular program here on Resonance 104.4 FM will know the workplace. I My little soapbox, my pet issue, is women's advancement in the workplace. And I also do a sub-sort of series on artists and uh, how to make a living from art. So, of course, female artists uh, fit tick those mm. two boxes uh, uh, beautifully. And um, the thing for me, when I sort of offered to do this session on International Women's Day, I want to share how the idea came to me. Uh, I shared it this morning in the workshop. It's that um, last year, an artist, a young artist, uh, she was exhibiting at another gallery. And uh, when I went to see her work, she invited me. When I went to see her work, she was very influenced by Frida Kahlo. And I hadn't heard of Frida Kahlo before. And after I saw that, uh, after I left the exhibition, I said to myself, but wait a minute, who are the other women artists? Now, I am not, I've never been trained in fine arts or I don't have an artistic background or anything. But if you ask me about artists, I can list, you know, as long as my arm, lots of male artists, even their work and what type of work that they do, but I can't list any female artists. And that is what sort of sparked the topic for me. Well, you know, I'm sure there are women artists, but how come I don't know their names beyond Tracy, I mean. <laughs> and, um, and so at the Tate, what we were doing today was sort of building awareness of female artists. And of course, because Tate Britain is all about British artists, um, I started off with a long list of, uh, uh, because I had to research for the project, I now know more, almost 40 female artists. And then we zeroed in on five. So, But let's first begin with that first part, which was uh, naming the artists. Yes. So this is what happened. Barbara Hepworth was also a very popular response. I think she was the most popular response I got. Yes? Bourgeois, good. Uh huh. Incidentally, on the bourgeois point, um, a, a male artist I asked, he gave me two women and one man, and he gave bourgeois as uh, as an answer. Yes, Vanessa Bell. Does anyone know who Vanessa Bell is? Yeah. Yeah. Who is she? Better, better known as Virginia Woolf's sister. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. Good. Others? Frida Kahlo. Frida Kahlo. Any other? Gentileski. Yes, Artemisia Gentileski. Have you been looking at my list? <laughs> Have you? No? no? <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Right, so that was the first little exercise we yeah. did where people, you know, it was a group of almost 25, I think, mm-hmm. and people just pitched in the names and so on. But even then, we learned we could add new names to the list. And then, of course, we singled out because time, you know, time didn't permit. So we just chose five artists and we did a little exercise of matching the artists to the biographies. And in the 2018 series, in an episode titled Why Women Need Quotas, named after her then-released book, The Economist. Vicky Price joined me to share her perspective on what needs to be done to accelerate women's professional success. First of all, although I spoke about regulation, um, you need, of course, to get the men to also agree. Men, women, and with a bit of regulation, uh, that will actually make a big difference. And then you get rid of that regulation. I seriously believe in sunset clauses. So you just stop having it. Once that trend's there, you stop having that regulation. You don't need it any longer. The next point, really, to, to make very quickly, is that obviously I'm thinking about the next generation and the generation after that. I have both girls and boys and a number of grandchildren now, many of them girls. And what I had noticed recently, given the experience that I've had for a number of decades, starting from the very bottom and moving up, um, is that many things haven't really changed. And they absolutely need to change. Still enter, you enter the room and you may be one of very few women. Uh, you go to so many, depends on the sector, of course, but you go to so many events and there can be all-male panels all day long, which, of course, everyone tries to find the old woman to put there. Now, um, that needs to change, uh, and we need to do a lot more in educating our, our children, uh, talk to schools and ensure that attitudes change, that how girls are being pushed forward changes, and how... They learn, of course, what they need to definitely learn, how to deal with, with any obstacles that may come in this, in this way to them and how to just soldier on. Uh, and please choose the right subject. So there is a lot to do at a younger age, and we all, who have made it to a certain position, need to participate in that, go out and spread the message. By this time, Resonance also started observing International Women's Day, a day observed within the wider context of Women's History Month, and even had a whole day takeover of the station by women. Here's an extract from last year's Women's History Month series, broadcast on International Women's Day 2019. It features Zubo Trust, a fishing cooperative run by African women. I just want to give you a background. Zubo, it's not an abbreviation. Mm-hmm. It's a Tonga name, which means fishing basket mm-hmm. that was used long back mm-hmm. when Zambes was still a stream. The women used to make those baskets, then they would cut across the stream and holding their baskets, mm-hmm. bending down, and collecting all the fish that comes along the way they move upstream. Now you cannot do this on your own, because you, there's no way you can have a basket that can pass cut across the stream. You needed to be a team. Mm-hmm. Now in the process they sing songs of joy each time they had good catches. They discussed about problems that affected them. So it's a concept that's been mm-hmm. passed on and on to the grandchildren. Pantute gets to us, and we are going to pass it on to, to the other generation. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of unity mm-hmm. among the and that's the whistle stop tour of the Women's History Month subseries since it began back in 2014 here on the Workplace. In the Women's History Month subseries, every episode throughout the month features women and issues related to women's advancement in the workplace. 
Women's History Month is an opportunity to honor female pioneers of the past, celebrate women's contemporary achievements, and contemplate and act upon measures to remove barriers to women's advancement in the workplace. This has been a fixture of the Workplace Radio Program since 2014, and this year, 2020, will be no different. So make sure to stay tuned throughout this Women's History Month as all episodes focus on issues related to women and the workplace. And that's it for today's episode of The Workplace, the radio program about how to get into, get along, and get ahead at work, produced and presented by me, NND. Today featured a compilation of the Women's History Month subseries from 2014 to 2019 to launch this year's Women's History Month 2020. Thanks so much for listening. As always, it's been a pleasure being in your company. Till next time, keep working. <laughs>